This episode of Canada. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you chiching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at CAMH.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Land Shortcuts is brought to you by frankandoak.com, the easiest place to shop online for clothes for men and now also for women. Proud Canadian company. Check them out at frankandoak.com slash CanadaLand, where you will get 15% off when you use the offer code CanadaLand. Paul Wells. Hello. Formerly of, what did you used to do? Formerly of Twitter, I guess. Formerly uh, of McLean's. Currently the National Affairs Columnist for the Toronto Star. It's good to have you back. How are you? I'm all right. We're going to be talking today about what's happening at Rogers Publishing to all those magazines and what's happening to McLean's, where you and I both used to work. Mm -hmm. And we are going to talk about why you're not on Twitter anymore and to a larger extent, what is happening with Twitter. Welcome back to Canada Land Shortcuts. Thanks. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Doug McDonald, Ellie Litvak, Evan Young, Chris Frey, Uday Srinivasan, Blaine Anderson, Jay Taylor, and Matthew Baden. Matthew, why did you decide to be awesome? Because you pair well with a morning commute in the TTC. This episode is also brought to you by Frank and Oak. You ever wear Frank and Oak clothes, Paul? You ever check out their website? No, but I'm not going to lie to you. I've thought of it. They look pretty good. I wear this stuff all the time, and now uh, women can check it out too because they have 
a very thoughtfully designed line of women's clothing which has just been launched and um, they put it this way it's a reflection of the brand's dedication to rethinking the role of style in our lives their collection draws inspiration from the passionate mindset and effortless appearance of the modern entrepreneur with sleek silhouettes that promote creativity and confidence that sounds pretty good to me i wear their clothes because they're simple and they seem to be well made and they look good on me and it's so easy to shop with frank and oak if you go to frankandoak.com slash canadaland you will also get 15 percent off your purchase whether it's men's or women's clothing check it out frankandoak.com slash canadaland This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible, heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. It's an historic day, if a negative day, for Canada's print media industry. Rogers Media has, within the past couple of hours, announced that some of the most iconic magazine brands in Canada will cease publishing in print form. They'll go all digital and others, including McLean's magazine, will have their frequency, their print frequency dramatically slashed. Let's take you through some of the titles. First. All right, Paul. I mean, there is a business side to this. There's a conversation to be had about what Rogers is doing, which I think beyond their publishing, they're moving out of content it seems across the board. And uh, I think focusing on their internet service and their telecom services, but I want to talk about just what this means for journalism and a tradition of letters in Canada in a larger sense. I mean, when we talk about McLean's, we're talking about like where Stephen Leacock wrote, a group of seven members contributed, Pierre Burton, Irving Layton, Mordecai Richler, like serialized The Apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz in McLean's, Peter Zowski, Michael Enright, Barbara Fromm, Robert Fulford, Paul Wells, <laughs> Jesse Brown on the uh, lesser online McLean's. It's not like they're dead, but it kind of feels like they're dead moving to monthly. And I know 
from what I'm hearing from within McLean's, it is just a fraction of a fraction. They're on absolute skeleton crew. Uh, what do you have to say about this? So it's a reflection of reality, which is that print uh, ad revenues have been collapsing. And uh, print circulation has been hard to keep up. I mean, when Ken White became the editor of McLean's in 2004, it took him about a year to find his feet. And then they made huge progress in booting up newsstand sales uh, with those outrageous covers. Why are we dressing our daughters like skanks? Stuff like that. Did they ever find out, by the way? No, no, because they kept on asking the question. Every few months, they would, some variation on uh, outraged moms, trashy daughters, things like that. We love that cover because the daughter, to demonstrate that she was outrageous, she was wearing a halter top and she was like snapping her fingers. <laughs> I, I wondered, in what social circles is that considered a, a, a you know, my daughter is snapping her fingers. Skanks are very sassy. That is well known. <laughs> sassy skanks is true. And newsstand sales really started to increase. And then in 2008, basically, newsstand sales collapsed because everyone had smartphones and they didn't have to buy a, a magazine at the airport anymore. And so Rogers would not be doing this if it was raking in the cash from print revenue and from circulation. But neither is this out of the blue or wildly out of character with the evolution of Rogers' titles over the last decade and more. You like to say that you worked at McLean's, but how many of your articles appeared in print? Not one. Never. Yeah. The majority, I think, of the words that I wrote over the last uh, six or eight years anyway uh, were for online. A lot of my work was not even in words. It was, um, you know, sassy videos that I would send back and forth with Andrew Coyne or uh, live events that we would do, the debate, uh, the televised town hall we had with the Prime Minister last December. I think you just inferred that Andrew Coyne is a skank. I'm not sure. I'm going to have well, to listen to this. He's been known to snap his fingers. More and more of McLean's product has been online. And they're still going to be publishing four issues a month. It's just the three of them will be digital only, and they'll be on that texture platform from next issue. The, so the, they'll look like copies of McLean's. It's just that they won't exist on paper. Oh, it's, it's just that. It's just that. There are other publications in Roger's roster, which they're moving completely digital. And they always trumpet that of like, look, we're progressive. We're moving online. Everything's the same. We're just as good as we used to be. But it's online now. That has never been a good thing. I mean, they've never meant like, and we're going to be putting more money into it and things are looking up. It's always a slow death by digital, at least in Canadian media history. That's how it goes. Yeah. I mean, uh, it is often a slow death by digital. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you, Jesse. Um, there are cases where it has worked quite well in the American context. In the American context where news magazines, Time and Newsweek and New US News, it's just been a bloodbath since long before last year. But the Atlantic Monthly really enjoyed a renaissance on digital. And it feels kind of quaint to pick up a copy of the Atlantic Monthly at the newsstand because there's been all this action online between issues and most of it doesn't even fit between their print covers. And then uh, New York Magazine went from weekly to every two weeks. Basically almost no one noticed. Uh, they've got all these digital verticals. Vulture is their arts and culture um, web presence. They've got Early and Often, which has been less successful, is their political presence. But New York Magazine has about as big a footprint in, in American culture today as it did a couple years ago when it stopped publishing weekly. So, you know, yeah. it's possible. I, I think the Rogers titles, McLean's is doing a little better than the others, but that whole division is heading into choppy waters. But I don't think it's doomed to fail. And I don't think it's out of character with the kind of beast that McLean's has been over the last decade. I hope that you're right. And I hope it's not doomed to fail. Here's some reality about it, though. What The Atlantic did early mm -hmm. is they said it doesn't matter whether it's print or digital. 
everybody here is making content for all these platforms. Some of it uh, will become a magazine and some of it will be online, but there's no in-house distinction. There's no caste system. You are a magazine writer getting paid a certain wage. You are a web blogger getting paid a contract wage of a quarter of that. And that's our sort of ugly stepchild product or an afterthought, because what are you going to do? Not have a website? So we'll just get some kids to write some stuff. That was the attitude at McLean's. It was a different product with a different team. And it was frustrating to be contributing only to the online product because sometimes I'd look at the traffic, which at that time contributors could actually still look at. And I saw that some of the web only content was doing better online than the stuff that had first appeared in the magazine. And it always fell upon deaf ears. And this is going back some time, but the editors at the time were not making a website. In their minds, they were making a magazine. Yep. If they have finally gotten the message that they are making content for wherever and they will get their revenue a little bit here, a little bit there, and hopefully that'll be enough to sustain. That has shown some signs of sustainability elsewhere and maybe it's not too late. What I fear is that it's sort of out of their hands because of media consolidation. If you're the Atlantic and that's your shop and you live or die as the Atlantic, you're going to fight the good fight and make bold moves sooner and put everything you got into them and hopefully they will weather this. Yep. I fear that McLean's is a lost leader for Rogers, that this is an esteemed 111-year-old publication that is not making money. Rogers does not want to be the bad guy who kills it, so instead they're just going to starve it to death. I think it might be too late. I hope not. And I hope that there's actually still like a will amongst that team and, and a cogent plan of like, this is how we're going to do it and turn it around. Yeah. So since since you were associated with McLean's, I think the big difference is that they've got uh, Sue Allen as the managing editor for digital and uh, Allison Uncles is the executive editor. And they kind of are not relaxed about the work they do. They're both uh, real bears for pushing out a lot of product, thoughtful product, surprising stuff. And that distinction between the wankers on the web and, and the real journalists uh, <laughs> has evaporated. That's two kinds of luxury that you can't afford in the current space. One is you can't hire someone to do half a job, right? You can't bring in someone new and, 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 and limit them to the web product. And neither can you have a bunch of prima donnas who don't do windows. You know, until yeah. quite recently in Toronto, those people existed. Uh, you know, there was a, a certain amount of resentment because everyone in Ottawa, for as long as I've been around, drew no distinction between writing for the web and writing for uh, the print product. I was often unaware of whether the stuff I was writing was going to be in print or on, uh, online. And then in Toronto, there were people who had a very 1990s conception of their job. But that's, uh, that's over, thanks very much. No divas allowed anymore. Yeah. You know, we're talking about this uh, will they or won't they survive with McLean's. Why does it matter? Why should people care at this point, whether or not the magazine that brought us, why are, are our daughters dressing like skanks? Why, they, why they, What does it matter if they survive or not? Because it has, in the last several years, uh, really strongly returned to that tradition from, you know, before the 1970s, from the, 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 the ancient roots of Maclean's as a paper that allows strong voices to exist, that looks unflinchingly at difficult stories that has a little uh, fun with the news, that goes deeper into stories that don't get covered, that matter a hell of a lot, but that newspapers flick at as they go running past and then, and then don't go in depth on. So when Nancy McDonald, it was a classic example of a sort of a new attitude at McLean's and the old sass of McLean's. When we had the cover Winnipeg, the most racist city in Canada, and everyone thought, well, there's McLean's just coming up with some bullshit. And what they found was Nancy McDonald, who's a young writer with a great big heart, who grew up in Winnipeg, writing about the unacceptable conditions that First Nations face in Winnipeg and the unacceptable 
backlash against uh, indigenous uh, Winnipeggers when they complain about that stuff. It was a hell of a moment. It was at several thousand words, and Nancy has spent two years since then following up on it. And it's really changed the conversation. Her article changed the conversation. And then the astonishing reaction of Winnipeg's mayor, Brian Bowman, uh, a few days later when he held a press conference in which he said, you know, she's mostly right and we have to fix this. That was the real change. And it's to his credit that that's the way he reacted to what, what must have been a very embarrassing story. On, frankly, a lower level, my election pieces that I would write after every election that would run 18,000, 20,000, 23,000 words that would give you kind of the definitive take on how the election was won and lost. I kept waiting for the daily newspapers to copy that format. Richard Warnica has done some excellent work in the National Post along those lines, but substantially it's only been in McLean's that you could get that kind of stuff. I left because I'd been there for 13 years, because someone else was nice enough to offer me an alternative, and I, I like to change things up every once in a while. And you must have seen the writing on the walls. Uh, that's what everyone says. Hey, you know, you saw this coming. Frankly, if I was trying to move towards uh, financial stability, I would not have moved towards daily newspapers. That is a very good point you just made, <laughs> sir. You know what? The piece that you point out by Nancy McDonald, that alone mounts a very compelling defense of McLean's. And in the larger sense, I think what you're saying is absolutely true. There are so few institutions or organizations or platform for just thinking about what the hell happened. The news doesn't necessarily let you do that. It's coming at you fast and furious. It is such a teeny little, like, <laughs> the, the resources that go towards this compared to the importance of it, just to think, what the hell happened after an election? What the hell is going on in Manitoba, in Winnipeg, in the city? And the anger that sometimes McLean's stories, their story about corruption in Quebec, I, I mean, I think that McLean should be very proud that Parliament like well, passed a motion against <laughs> McLean's. That is a yeah. proud day for a magazine. It's worth its weight in gold. For every cover about uh, our skanky daughters, we are richer for having this out there. And I, and I fear that maybe it's already done, but I hope that that's not true. Paul, this is uh, the time on our program where we take a moment to duly note some stories that uh, have come to our attention in the past week. The CBC had an amazing scoop today about a story that ran in the Globe and Mail all about vaginal atrophy and how women really need to be talking to their doctors post-menopause. And there was uh, quotes in there from a, a comedian, a CBC comedian, actually, Kathy Jones, who's leading the crusade to get women to care about this. And what the CBC, I guess, ironically discovered is that this story was a plant. It had been shopped around to the media by a PR company who did not disclose that they were acting with a pharmaceutical company as a client. That was a stealth marketing campaign that the Globe and Mail fell for and the CBC uncovered. It is a fantastic story. I imagine that there's a dozen more like it for everyone we find out about. But I think that Kelly Crow, the CBC reporter who revealed this, has a really important scoop today. And you know what? Even before I, I ask her via email or whatever, I think it's worth an episode of Canada Land to talk about big pharma and PR and how health stories get planted. Kelly Crow, will you come on Canada Land? And congratulations on your story today. It's an important one. Duly noted. Paul, what do you have for us? A little bit of preaching uh, for my own uh, parish. Uh, a colleague at the Toronto Star, Daniel Dale, who uh, was famously the guy who was uh, out checking a, a detail behind Rob Ford's house a few years ago as a city hall reporter. And uh, Ford came out and, and, and accused him of eavesdropping and all that, a bunch of stuff that was established uh, as a lie. And then he moved to Washington. We thought, well, poor Dan Dale, you know, it's going to be so snoozy down there. And then this presidential cycle started and he's been covering 
Donald Trump's campaign. And what he does after every Trump speech is he enumerates everything that Trump said that is factually demonstrably incorrect. And then it started to get noticed uh, by some American colleagues. And then finally by Michael Moore, the documentarian and, and uh, rabble rouser, uh, who said, what's the deal here? How come a Canadian reporter is the guy we need to count on to truth squad a presidential contender? And what's happened since then is that a couple of news organizations, especially the most notably the New York Times, have started to do daily truth squads of, uh, of Donald Trump statements, very clearly modeled on Daniel Dale's um, uh, own work. We'll take the flattery. I mean, Im imitation is a sincerest form of flattery. Everyone knows that Daniel Dale was doing it first. And it's an interesting demonstration that a Canadian working in the biggest pond at all, U.S. political journalism in a presidential cycle, when there's hundreds and hundreds of uh, reporters basically covering the same story, can, with a little wit and a little style and a little dedication, distinguish himself and set an example for his American colleagues. Duly noted. Finally, uh, and on the same topic of Trump <laughs> and Canadian reporters, Paul, the poor old Calgary Herald had a story just congratulating themselves, really, but pointing out that the reporter at the New York Times who received the email from Marla Maples or from whoever, we don't know, that contained uh, Trump's 1995 tax returns, which uh, may or may not be a decisive news story in this U.S. presidential campaign, that reporter, the Calgary Herald, wants everyone to know is a former Calgary Herald intern. Huh. And... <laughs> I was like, okay, that's that's nice. And, you know, so she used to work there and now they're, they're sort of claiming her as their own. You read the story closely and you're like, wait a second. She was never even a paid reporter there. If you read it, she says, she's quoted as saying that she interned there and then had a remarkably hard time finding a job until the star took a chance on her. And then her career just descended from there until she's this uh, running lead at the Times on this very important Trump story. <laughs> so if you read between the lines, it seems the Calgary Herald didn't even hire her back. And now they're, they're claiming her as one of their own. Poor old Calgary Herald. I could say so much. Uh, duly noted. Now is the time when we thank our second sponsor, FreshBooks. Paul, you're working for a big company with payroll and all. You don't have to worry about this stuff. You submit your expenses. There's departments for that. There's a good chance that that way of doing things will disappear forever very soon. And you too will have to learn how to use FreshBooks. The good news is it's very easy to use and very fun to use. And it's a great way to keep an eye on your small business or your freelance practice. And the new top to bottom redesign really puts that in the forefront, that this isn't just a way to send invoices through the cloud. This really is sort of mission control for the business side of your business. If you are too small to have your own accounting department, FreshBooks steps in and they tell you how it's all going. They tell you how your year is. Are you up or are you down? Which clients are quick to pay and which take their time? Where the expenses are? When it comes tax time, it'll spit out something that's much more technical for your accountant. But for you, as the small business owner or freelancer, FreshBooks has everything in the easiest format you could possibly imagine. And you can just kind of check in and see how you're doing every day, which is how I've been using it. Go to freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand. When you do decide to become a customer, tell them that CanadaLand sent you. You'll be doing the show a favor. Finally, Paul, I want to talk about the issue that has gripped the nation. We are all still mourning the incredible staggering loss. You are no longer on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> A nation breathes a sigh of relief. Yeah. 
So uh, I joined Twitter. I think I sounded more dickish there. I sounded more dickish there than I intended to. I enjoyed you on Twitter. I missed you on Twitter. Thanks very much. I uh, think I offered pretty good value for money on a free uh, social network that no one pays for. I joined at the end of 2009. I was uh, working on New Year's Eve in the uh, McLean's office and feeling sorry for myself. And so I joined Twitter because I always like uh, when I'm working to have people I can gossip with. And uh, by the time I was done, I had not far from 60,000 followers. It's just an astonishing thing. And probably three things happen. First of all, I was starting to be a little worried that I was spending so much time on Twitter. Secondly, friends of mine were getting uh, harassed in ways that I find un unacceptable. And Twitter, uh, the company, was not doing an awful lot about it. And then a third thing, kind of obscure, there's a Turkish journalist named Meyer Zainalov who has been very good at chronicling the excesses of the Erdogan regime there since the failed coup in July. I mean, the, the coup was illegitimate. The government there is legitimately democratically elected. But they've been uh, using the coup as a pretext to round up thousands of their opponents, ruin their careers, toss them in jail. And this guy was saying, here's what's going on. And suddenly he was threatened with having his account canceled. So I said, well, look, if people who demonstrably should not have accounts still have accounts, and this guy is being threatened, I'm just going to walk away. And I did that. Since then, Twitter has said that they're not going to block his English language account uh, in Turkey. And I have no idea whether I had anything to do with that. But in the meantime, I'm enjoying the quiet. And so I'm going to stay away for now. You know, I, I wanted to talk with you about it, not simply because of your departure, but because it seems like it speaks to a bunch of these trends and troubles that uh, Twitter is experiencing. The reckoning that we're finally having, or I don't know if we're, if we're even there yet, but we're starting to talk about the level of abuse on Twitter. They used to call themselves the free speech wing of the free speech party and pride themselves on like really not stepping in there and letting anyone say anything. You start to muck with that a little bit and remove some people like in the Leslie Jones thing. And then it's like, okay, well, what are your rules? If you're now going to be suppressing certain people and blocking certain accounts, you are now the arbiter of who gets to have a voice here and who doesn't. And that's a tricky business. I know why they stayed out of that as long as they did, but now that they're in it, they're in it. And then there's the financial troubles of Twitter. But I think, you know, you give us like a nuanced picture as to why you left. And a big part of that is sort of in the air right now. Andrew Sullivan had this long read article and he built his, uh, his career uh, as an online journalist uh, in part through Twitter. And he, he wrote about the personal side of this, this article, I used to be a human being where he talks about his distraction sickness yep. and how he was no longer anywhere that he actually was. If your attention is on your phone, you're not where you are. You're not talking to the people in your life. He wrote very well. I could relate to a lot of what he said. It seems to be echoed in some of what you're saying, enjoying the quiet. I don't know if you agree with everything he said. But I have a feeling of resistance to it, maybe because I'm completely addicted to Twitter and I, I kind of love Twitter. Yep. I guess I feel like there is this idealized, romanticized, counter-wired vision that I think is kind of bullshit, which is that this is a return to man in a state of pure beauty. You're, you're alone in the wilderness without your, <laughs> without your devices, having real serious time with the people and with squirrels and on your, on your shoulder and stuff. And, and that now you're really living. And that's, I'm sorry, that's just not how we live anymore. Yeah. And well, so God bless Andrew Sullivan, but this is how he rolls, right? Like Barack Obama couldn't simply be a two-term president. He had to be the man who would kill the legacy of Reagan in Andrew Sullivan's mind. And he uh, hands in his smartphone, and suddenly this is what Thoreau meant when he wrote Walden. <laughs> you know, at, at some point it's allowed to just be not being on Twitter. And I was uh, 
not surprised, but a little vexed when I announced that I was not going to be on Twitter. And my boss asked me to write an article about it and said, we'll put it on page one. And then your morning, the new CTV show wanted to interview me and some other news organizations wanted to interview me. And suddenly I'm marketing the fact that I'm not on Twitter when my intention was just to not be on Twitter, you know. But there are other examples. Steve Lateranti, who was Twitter's lead employee in Canada for a while, he's now at the CBC, he left Twitter the day after I did for, I think, probably similar reasons. Isn't that crazy? I mean, before he worked at Twitter, he was one of the most preeminent journalists on Twitter, which I think why he got the job is he understood the medium so well. And then he worked there and advocated for them as uh, like a place for public conversation and Twitter's role in news and politics. And he left Twitter. Yeah. It's funny, during the vice presidential debate, Pence versus Kane, life is too short for anyone to actually watch the damn thing, but I, I was missing Twitter because I wanted to know what the chatter was as it happened. But, you know, then I wake up the next morning and look at Politico and there's all the chatter, you know, like, so you've only waited eight, uh, eight hours. But, you know, I wrote a book in the middle of all this. I wrote uh, The Longer I'm Prime Minister in 2013, and it took a titanic feat of will to turn everything on my screen off except for my word processor and actually write about things that were a few months or a few years old. It was hard in a way that I found a little unnerving. And uh, yeah. at some point the question is, hey Paul, if you lived without it until December 31st, 2009, can you live without it again? And I, I thought it was time to find out. Has it improved your life? Are you able to find more, more balance in all these things we talk about? Deeper thought, you can read longer articles and books, you can think about the past more and focus. Is, is that all true? I've actually been doing a fair bit of that. My wife is over the moon. <laughs> she feels like she's got me back, you know. But I'm not Andrew Sullivan. I'm not off in, a, in an ashram uh, doing yoga to celebrate being, like I've, I've been binge watching uh, Luke Cage on Netflix, just like everyone else. <laughs> You That's know. a form of spirituality of its <laughs> own. A form of spirituality. Sort of. It is the slowest moving of the Marvel Netflix shows, I'm here to tell you. And I have been doing, <laughs> I have been reading a little deeper. I've been just enjoying wondering what people are thinking instead of kidding myself that I know, which Twitter allows you to do. I, I, look, it all makes a lot of sense to me. And, and you know, on a personal level, I, I think about this a lot. And yet we write for readers, Right. If you don't have people reading what you write, then what you're doing is pointless. Like, you know, this is what we do. You had 60,000 people who opted in, who yeah. said, I want to read Paul Wells writing on this platform. And then you left. And there's an incoherence with that and the job beyond all these other concerns. I think Twitter's great for knowing what's going on. I think it's a great journalism tool. You can ask people questions out in the open, uh, yeah. which means you'll get answers from people who wouldn't have otherwise <laughs> answered. There's all kinds of things where I think it's wonderful. But the main thing is, is that it is a platform where people still read sentences. So to stop doing that, I kind of wonder like, well, then why anything if you're not going to do Twitter? Yeah. So first of all, people know where to find me, Toronto Star. Secondly, uh, I'm not going to be a stay off Twitter evangelist of any kind. I'm not going to go, I'm not going to be the boring guy who goes around and says, I'm telling you, your life's going to be a thousand times better. Maybe Twitter's great for you. Maybe Twitter will be great for me again. You know, once uh -huh. you're, once you get the blue check mark, they give you a year to come back. Frankly, having that luxury is what makes me think, I want to take a substantial chunk of time to really find out how it feels to not be on Twitter. Like as soon as they announced that Myers Analov was not going to be blocked, that was my excuse to come back after three days, right? Well, you know, my, my crusade has been successful. Here I am, you know, telling you what I think of uh, Luke Cage. But uh, I'm going to enjoy this for a while, I think. Yeah, I think I got, I got your drift there. We'll see you in 11 months then.
Thank you, Paul. Thanks. That is your Canada Land Shortcuts. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me. I read everything you send and I respond when I can. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com. And we are on Twitter, at Canada Land. Paul, wherever can people find you? Toronto Star. Uh, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and... No, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. I'm in the Toronto Star sometimes. <laughs> Our website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. I make this show with Kevin Sexton. We offer this show free of charge for community and campus radio stations across the country. And the person who handles that is Russell Gregg. If you like what we do, please support us. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you.